say 25 years ago, a quarter century ago, a movie opens, The Titanic. What was it about? It was about a ship that sank. <gasps> it was a love story. Well, it was about a ship that sank. It stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, and it becomes the top grossing movie of all time, earning $2 billion globally. The only movie to do that is Avatar. Thank you to this song here mainly, which is... Pass. My Heart Will Go oh, On. My Heart Will yeah, Go On. That's yes. right, by Celine Dion. <laughs> you have to have a heart first. <laughs> yeah, good one, Cindy. Anyway, uh, it was an extraordinary film, but guess what, Peter Field? I have yet to see it. Is it any good? Uh, no. No, I would pass. <laughs> Full stop. Or Avatar, I would pass on that one too, frankly. Oh, no, no. Avatar's fantastic. And, you know, the point about the Titanic is, you know, try it. Turn it off. You can. Have you seen it? Yeah. Is it good? Ages ago. Oh, no, it's not good. (laughs) But, you know, hey. Anyway, that was the song. It's a life experience. Yeah, and it was huge. Uh, Look, Thank you for your responses. Big response. Peter's right about Trump here in New Zealand. All we know is what we are fed, and we don't appreciate the 30 to 30% of US citizens who would vote for him. We don't understand it. Please stop the rampant one-side debate on RNZ and stop shutting Peter down, says a fan. I'm just saying to you, you, um, Michelle, I didn't shut the man down. Uh, I gave him a very good um, go, and uh, I appreciate all your responses. There you go. Uh, But we might come back to this somehow later in the week uh, on bipartisanship. Crazy left-wing RNZ. Or the other way. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, 4.36, the panel RNZ National. Cindy Michener, uh, recruitment specialist for Michener & Associates and Head of Humanities at the University of Canterbury, Peterfield. In a first-of-its-kind report, New Zealand Museum, New Zealand's museums and galleries have been valued at $5.6 billion. $45 million objects worth $3.6 billion, buildings worth $2 billion, by economic researchers Burl. But cultural institutions have been struggling to maintain collections and pay staff due to lost visit revenue from soaring inflation and the pandemic. And galleries... Well, they've been in the news lately when the mayor of Auckland questioned the value of some cultural institutions, namely the Auckland Art Gallery. With us is Chief Executive of Museums Aotearoa, Adele Fitzpatrick. Adele, welcome to the panel. Thank you, Wallace. My first thought was $3.6 billion. That's a lot of cultural stock, right? And you think that might be conservative. Yes, it's a big number. Uh, a lot of items to care for. Um, and if you think about just how the arts market has increased in value in the last couple of couple of years, uh, chances are that three point six billion is a conservative number. Bill's report also paints a pretty stark picture of how much they have to go on. Large institutions have an average of just ninety k surplus. Smaller ones. A quarter of a million deficit. That was a surprise reading that. Not a lot to go on. Not a lot to go on. Uh, no. And, uh, you know, the effects of, uh, of COVID are putting additional pressures. You know, they've lost uh, revenue from uh, hiring venues, um, big ticket exhibitions, 
uh, cafes, uh, you know, all sorts of other events, um, shops, retail that they've got on site. So they're losing a lot of that type of retail when people aren't going through. Adele, don't you think that's a pretty philistine heading? You know, the, the the price of everything and the value of nothing. Because when it says that the museums are worth, that's not taking into account any of the societal and the cultural value. Um, I mean, the, there must be uh, you know ways of of researching that the buildings and the you know, actual institution turnover is worth X. However, the downstream value to society, the culture, etc., is worth Y. I mean, you know, I know that you can do those sorts of things and would make a much bigger figure. Well, and that's what this report has done, Cindy. Um, we have used the Living Standards Framework and yep. used the four pillars of uh, well-being. So looked at cultural value, uh, environmental values, uh, social value, and economic value. So this is the first time that we've been able to put numbers around that. So uh, that's a quantitative research. So social value, for example, um, there's a, over 11,000 volunteers in the sector. And if you think about uh, that's probably older people and uh, volunteering keeps a connection to their communities. Uh, it's you know, prevents that loneliness that is prevalent uh, or, or quite um, common in that older age group. Um, so these things are really important, and so there's a number on that social value. So what uh, is that number? Uh, am I right in saying that the objects in that was the $3.6 billion and the buildings were $2 billion? Right. So yeah. what's the extrapolated downstream societal value? Uh, well, there's the economic value of uh, 272 million of GDP uh, and also of employees. Uh, the social value has looked at the number of volunteers and also education, which is a really interesting sector uh, to delve into a little bit. There's 906,000 school kids that go uh, to, on visits to museums and galleries. And that hey. delivers uh, an educational value of $24.6 million. All right. Stay there, Adele. Let's bring in uh, Peter Field. Well, I worry that um, as head of humanities that we're not doing a very good job, Wallace. After all, if the museums are only worth twice as much as one famous movie, <laughs> right, <laughs> Titanic, maybe. That's the, but that is a sign of where people's values are. And younger and younger people, I think, may find that, that they virtually enter museums but have less and less connection to it. So uh, maybe uh, we haven't been uh, training people in high culture well, very well. Well, that's, a, that's a, whatever, whatever high culture is. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm going to ask is you, Is a museum Adele, high culture? Or sure is it just it is. culture? Sure it is. Uh, low culture, lowbrow culture is very popular. People are doing all kinds of things, and they're going to operas and museums less and less. It's a real but, challenge. Yeah, I, I understand that. But the museums are actually offering a whole lot more interesting, interactive things that are actually well, effective when I was for younger a kid, people. When I was a kid, mm. I never saw a museum or a gallery as high or low. No, I just saw it as just a place went. to go and loved it. Um, is it not fair, Adele, though, at a time when people are thinking more about food for the table, petrol in the tank, and our sewage systems that need upgrading, shoes for the kids, that really um, the arts, including you, Peter, and your head of humanities, it needs to go on the back burner. 
I don't oh, think no, I, I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't agree with that either, Wallace. Yeah, me um, neither. So that's yeah. three well, uh, Your declaration, Cindy, your husband's an artist. My husband's an artist, yes. So all three of you <laughs> are pro-humanities, but I'm saying to all three of you, let's get real. Let's, fa- let's, let's really... This is 2023, Adele, and people are struggling. Uh, local governance is struggling. Well, exactly. I agree. And uh, we're better to go than a place that is free to entry and uh, where you can go and have an amazing experience and probably make some really interesting decisions, uh, you know, about your future, as we know that younger people do. Um, Open their minds. uh, Well, exactly. To all the the possibilities that are out there. (laughs) This is is where they see science in action and art and history. They get exposed to their own cultures. They get exposed to other cultures, expand their minds, all of those really good things. And we know that younger people do make these really important decisions about their future within these places. All right, Peter? Well, look, I think whatever it is, um, you have to make it fun. You have to make it exciting and remind yourself that we don't live by bread alone. And it's remarkable, Wallace, how people, even without a whole lot, sacrifice for things that they find culturally valuable and meaningful in their lives. No, no, look, I do agree with that. We don't live by bread alone. As a person who personally loves it, and, uh, you know, my little boy, five-year-old Adele, he's just been to the museum. He goes to the art gallery, and he, when he goes, he talks about it all day. (laughs) <laughs> because he makes little crafts there, he brings the craft home, he talks about the experience, and it comes back, I think you mentioned earlier, uh, about getting that school engagement visits to the museum gallery. Is the Ministry of Education funding us? I heard that there's some issues around that. They are funding it to less than $5 million a year, um, and that contract has changed a little bit. So some of that contract, the money, has come out of our sector this year. And I find that uh, particularly um, challenging to get my head around when the Aotearoa New Zealand Histories curriculum is being launched next year. And we're better to go and learn about stories and local stories and, and your own history. But, you know, museums and galleries... um, Adele, do the museums and galleries offer free entry for schools and school parties or, you know, under 15? Yes, they do. And sometimes they will even pay for the bus fare. Yeah. Accessibility is so important, particularly for kids who wouldn't normally get to go. Uh, And, you know, that that $5 million of funding contributes to having an educator uh, at at the institution. Um, They develop specific programs to support teachers um, because, you know, teachers aren't experts in all subjects. They need support. Uh, So, you know, there's a whole range of um, of programs, specific educational programs for children. You've got a few supporters. You've got a few supporters. Someone says, hand in your resignation this year, Wallace. For goodness sake, (laughs) a society without the humanities is a sad totalitarian State, good on you. Hey, Adele, kia ora. Nice to have you on the program. Appreciate it. Kia ora. That Thank is you. the Chief Executive of Museums Aotearoa, Adele Fitzpatrick. I think asking for your resignation is a little bit harsh. Do you think? Oh, 
Yes, it was Thank just a small slip of the tongue. Thank you, Cindy. Well, it wasn't uh, a slip of the tongue. Yeah. You're just playing devil's advocate. <laughs> Nothing more. We know where you are. <laughs> All right. Now, Peter Field and Cindy Michener is on this afternoon. Now, no child left behind. I thought this was worth mentioning on the panel today. No Child Left Inside is a community organisation that helps grow kids' confidence by engaging them in movement and play. It relies on annual grants to operate for free in Nelson Tasman Primary Schools, but in the coming years, they will struggle to make ends meet. With their funding slashed, no child left inside will start the new year with half its usual budget. As a result, they've had to cut back on staff and the amount of schools they visit. So I thought this is worth highlighting just for a few minutes on the panel. We've talked arts. Let's move over to sport for our young. No child left inside direct Sue Neal joins us. Kia ora, Sue. Kia ora. Hello, Wallace. How are you? Good. Tell us a little bit more about what uh, this group is, your group is. Yes. As you said, we are a, um, a community group and we operate in the Nelson and Tasman region. And what we do is we go into primary schools and we've been in as many as 24 in the past. And this year we've been in 16. Um, and we deliver a fundamental skills program. So we are giving the kids the confidence through uh, developing their skills through a bunch of really crazy fun games. Um, and really, I guess we are kind of like the PE specialist in the primary school. Very, very popular program in this, in this region. So, so having Cindy, having read the uh, the details, this used to be uh, nationally funded by Sport New Zealand, and now the, they've devolved the responsibility for the funding to um, Sport Tasman. So, were you? So that's a, a much more of a local funder. Were you told why you were getting less money? Um, well, what what um, just slightly um, tweak that. Um view of what how it was uh, the funding was given out in the past so what happened was that um sport new zealand would give kiwi sport fund to the local organizations such as sport tasman the regional the regional sports organizations and then they would administer the fund um and then the fund changed two years ago sport a kiwi sport fund was eradicated and the new fund came in place its place um called the tumanawa fund um in the first year we were successful that was COVID year. In the second year, uh, we were told that the schools would now need to apply for the funding because the programme was being delivered in school time. Therefore, it was the school's responsibility to apply. And in that year, which was last year, we lost um, an awful lot of funding that way. Uh, they decided that um, three, um, three specific groups were to be targeted, and that were girls, disabled children, and children in low-decile schools. Uh, this year, the same schools have applied again, but zero dollars has been given. Right, it's, um, it's, and with it's, no explanation, though. It, it's it's all a bit of a labour of love for you. So I see that you <laughs> boost your own salary with a cleaning job. I do, I which pays more than teaching. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess I've got to ask you if that's the case. Why do you do it? Uh, I don't think I've ever been as passionate about anything in my life. Actually, I, I was mm. a high school PE teacher overseas for many years, and. Mm for about 20 years, and I realised that, you know, the importance of targeting children when they're young to give them that lifelong love of learning and being active is just crucial, and the programme is so well received. Uh, primary school children are just most awesome little people, you know, really Absolutely. enthusiastic sponges to work with, and when you look at the state of, 
you know, what's happening with mental and physical health now with increasing rates of diabetes and obesity and the mental health problems that even young children are now suffering from. I just can't, I just can't ditch it. You know, it's just too important. Get the kids outside. So here you've got a person who's subsidising her work, Peter, so you can keep the stream alive. What do you reckon? I reckon that uh, well done, and I think you bring up exactly the right point, Wallace. It's a labor of love, and you just hope this is replicated over and over and over again in every town, even in Vercargill, mm. um, because <laughs> getting, getting people outside, and actually anything, especially for young people, that gets them excited about their body, because we are yeah. embodied people no matter yeah. what, and off their phone and getting two hands free is a great yeah. thing. So, uh, so is there a pathway um, for regaining this fu- funding? If you were to, you know, I mean, it's a lot of admin, but if you were to actually coordinate all of the schools' individual applications and, you know, just just drive it, because if you make something easy for somebody to do, they're more likely to do it. So, if you did all the paperwork for the schools and all the background admin, do you think you'd have a chance of um, getting your funding back? I don't think we're going to get it back from this particular um, source. I think that's long gone. I think that uh, Sport NZ has a very different focus and a different, very different view of where they want to be spending their money. Um, Sport NZ has started up a couple of new programs which are being um, dished out uh, around the country. Um, there's a healthy living advisory group now and um, another, I noticed today, there's a, a new kind of movement program but um, I think what we're going to have to do is we've, we've got to look elsewhere. Um, and about five years ago, we really lost all of our private sponsors. Um, so I think that that's really where we're going to have to start looking, uh, which seems ridiculous because we're doing something that's um, <laughs> it's, it's for the good of the country <laughs> in the long term. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think that we've, um, we've lost that funding now. Kia ora, Sue. Keep up the great work, and I really appreciate you being on the programme. That is Sue Neal. She is the director of No Child Left Inside, helping uh, get the young kids out into play, real play, uh, the likes of play that I guess um, Cindy, Peter and I used to do, and hey, people still do. Anyway, to this, uh, finally, uh, we talked last week about a call to fast-track a bill that would make it mandatory for children under 15 to wear life jackets on small boats. Many people were surprised that it wasn't compulsory, like, for example, wearing a seatbelt in a car. Water Safety NZ supports it. They previously asked the government to consider making a change as there are currently 17 separate regional bylaws but no national standard. Well, it so happens that uh, a harbour master got in touch with us. He had some thoughts on this. So let's uh, bring in Grant Norder, the Wellington harbour master. Grant, nice to have you on. Sure, well, it's nice to be here. So... Okay, explain the well. Explain how you see it. Okay, so Water Safety NZ supports this mandatory uh, life jackets. Where do you stand? Um, collectively, the Harbour Masters agree. So uh, they're right. There's there's 16 different regions around the country. We all have different navigation safety bylaws, but actually most of them are aligned. What we've been doing over time uh-huh. is when our bylaws have come up for renewal. Uh, most of us are now putting in requirements for mandatory wearing. But there's small variations between them and differences. 
And what we're also asking the government for is to set the national standard so we don't have to have this discussion locally. It's just a standard throughout the country. I've got and it. We, we know they're doing some work on it, and we know there's a draft proposal ready to go, Ooh. and we're just really keen to see that out for consultation and to, to make some progress on it. Okay, because this has been an issue for years. Water Safety NZ put out a statement in 2010 about this. Uh, and, Peter, considering our um, drowning stats, uh, you'd think that there might be some movement on this. What do you reckon? Well, certainly we have seatbelt rules, so why wouldn't we have them? I don't know how small, small craft is, though. Yeah. Might, uh, clarify that for us. I trust it's not swimming. <laughs> no. Uh, but they, so, should, they should be wearing um, things for that, too. Well, I, it's funny you say that. We're doing publicity about swim floats at the moment as well. But with the life jackets and the Wellington bylaws, it's for boats under six metres when they're moving. So if you're tied up in a marina, anchored, fishing, that's okay when you're moving. You should have your bio, your life jacket on. And that's quite similar in quite a few other regions. So, Grant, are these bylaws, uh, are, they, are they well known and are they enforceable? I mean, you must see hundreds of people in boats or children in boats mm. without a, a, a jacket on, a life jacket. I mean, do you have the physical capacity to go out there and say, put your life jacket on or hit the road, Jack, take your boat home? Um, we, we do on a regular basis. And many of us around the country, um, obviously different resourcing in different regions, but we have boats on the water over summer doing just that, um, combined with Maritime New Zealand as well. Um, we've been pushing life jackets for 10, 15 years or have more. You? Um, compulsory wearing only came in last year. Um, so, yeah, we, we're on the water. There's an infringement note, infringement fee for that. People can get fined. Most councils, in terms of life jacket, have now got past the education stage, and it's it's dishing out the fines. But we um, would prefer the money got spent on life jackets, but if that's what it takes, that that's where we're going. But what's the level of? I mean, you say it's past the education stage. Not wishing to push my advertising background, but um, it. Is it well known enough that it is illegal to not be wearing one? Um, we still. I mean, I don't think it is. No. Yeah, it's it's a yeah. Surpri- it's a surprise to many people. That's why I brought it up for the second exactly. time. Yeah, uh, yep. that's why we're talking to Grant now because I wouldn't know. Awareness you'd, you'd... is too low. Yes, uh, is is that fair? The awareness thing uh, is 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 an issue, Grant. It, it's something we're constantly pushing. Um, Unfortunately, rules at the end of the day are boring. People aren't that engaged. So it's trying to get in front of them and make the point and just remind them that it's the basic things. All right. and it's it's not about a rule, though, Grant. It's about saving lives. And I mean, that, oh, absolutely. there's an enormous creative opportunity there for any of the big advertising yeah. agencies. Um, unfortunately, most of us aren't working with big budgets, so that is a bit of a challenge. But Maritime New Zealand have run several TV (laughs) campaigns over the years. Um, We we do promote it. We're also getting new boaties coming in all the time, so we've got to keep repeating it. Grant, it's lovely to have you on. Hope we get you on again. Kia ora. You're welcome. Thank you. That's Grant Norla, Wellington Harbour Master, and I'm going to leave leave you on a positive note here. Recently in Invercargill, an amazing (laughs) town, great cycling history, good curry, beautiful architecture. Invercargill, 
I am coming for you. <laughs> Look okay. out in Bacargill. Hey, Peter, kia ora. Nice to have you on the programme, mate. Eh? Uh, that's Peter Field. Also, Cindy Michener. Thank you, Cindy. Thanks for having I me, Wallace. I am Wallace Chapman. I'm back tomorrow at 3.45. Checkpoint is next.